HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring the culinary wonders of urban New Jersey with a tour through Newark. We speak to Frank Mentesana at Phillips Academy Public Charter School. This idea of family style and made from scratch lunches continues to be a bit of an anomaly in the city. We also hear from Gil Speyer from All Points West Distillery. Newark used to have an incredibly rich beverage alcohol history. And we'll tour Aero Farms, the world's largest indoor vertical farm. We're growing using 390 times more productivity than field farming and 95% less water. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network to be amazed at the wonders of Newark. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, March 27th, 2019. This is the 210th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a legendary chef and restaurateur based in New York City, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to keep pushing forward. Aim to be better. To reach new goals and thrive. Never settle for where you're at or the status quo, but instead keep moving ahead, learning, innovating, and improving. Go beyond one's expectations and put your best foot forward always. With the right attitude and mindset, anything is possible. So onwards and upwards. That's my tip today. Now I'm so honored to have my guest here with me in the studio. It is Danielle Ballou. He is the chef and owner of several award-winning restaurants and the Feast and Feats Catering Company. While he hails from outside Lyon, France, it is in New York that Danielle 
has truly mastered the dining scene and is today considered one of America's leading culinary authorities. Over the last two decades, Danielle has evolved from a chef to a chef restaurateur with the Dynex Group, bringing his artist artistry to New York City restaurants, including his flagship Danielle, a two Michelin star Relay Chateau member, plus one Michelin star Cafe Baloo, Bar Baloo, Baloo Sud, I can go on and on. Outside of New York, his seasonal French-American cooking can be found worldwide from London to Toronto, Montreal, Singapore, and beyond. Danielle is the recipient of multiple James Beard Foundation Awards, He's a top-selling cookbook author, a television personality, co-president of City Meals and Wheels, chairman and co-founder of Mentor BKB Foundation, and that's my summary of your your resume. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Cherry. So happy <laughs> to be here, and uh, always a thrill to be here in Brooklyn at uh, Roberta, and I'm going to be about to see the staff sitting down and having their family meal. It's nice yes. and to be with you is always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really thrilled to to have you here and I always like to start with my guests and and get into their background and I know you grew up in Lyon. Mm -hmm. So, what was your childhood like? When did you know you wanted to be a chef? I don't know. I started very young, but uh, my childhood was in the countryside of Lyon and uh, I grew up on the farm. So, I uh, often help my parents with all the tasks uh, at the farm. But I also had a wonderful childhood as uh, a kid uh, being passionate about many things. I tried to play sport, but then I started cooking at 14 professionally. And because the restaurant was only closed on Saturday and I had to work on Sunday, I had no more Sunday to play soccer or anything. So that kind of took care of things. And uh, But I... From a very young age, I uh, refused to go to cooking school because the cooking school, who was the most convenient to go for my parents at the time, was not very good. It was quite mediocre. And I met a fit after like two weeks at that school. I came back to my parents and say, I don't want to go to school and I want to cook. And so we managed, they managed through some friends, well, appointed friends with Lyon's uh, different uh, chef. And uh, she helped me get into one of the best restaurants in Lyon at the time. And that's when I started. And from there, you know, today I have uh, a restaurant, Daniel, with Relais Chateau, which is the symbol of certainly the finest tables around the world and the finest small boutique hotel around the world. And uh, to this day... I never work anywhere except on on a very short occasion in a place other than Relais Chateau, Relais Gourmand. And uh, so that association exists for, I don't know, maybe 60 years or more. Uh, and so it was my sort of guiding light because the first restaurant I worked in Lyon, I kind of trusted the excellence of that and I felt then pursuing into this sort of club of a restaurateur member of this association was uh, like if they sign up for a certain commitment for excellence. So it was good. And also you could get referred 
from the chef you work to the next chef you want to work, which right. was important for me. So I know before you came to the U.S., you spent some time in other parts of France, <laughs> in Copenhagen. Yes. Uh, what, who, were, who, who were your mentors along the way, and then what led you to come to, well, it was D.C. and then to New York? Yes. Um, so, of course, as a young chef, uh, soon after my apprenticeship, I was 17, so I did three years apprenticeship. Right away, I wanted to work in a different place. And I went in Burgundy, south of Burgundy, in the Brest region, where Georges Blanc has a restaurant, La Mer Blanc. And at the time, the name of the restaurant was La Mer Blanc, and the mother, the, the, the mother of Georges Blanc was still in the kitchen on weekend with us, and there were still a lot of women working in the restaurant. And, uh, and I really loved it because it was, the, it was a departure from where I was working in Lyon, who was a little bit more man-driven kind of restaurant. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I did two years there, 17 to 19. And uh, after that, I wanted to see the south of France. And I already started to dream about star restaurants uh, because both my Nandron, the uh, 14 to 17 and 17 to 19, they both had two stars at the time. Michelin. Yes. Okay. And uh, Georges Blanc became a three star later on. But I wanted to go to a three star. Uh, coming from Lyon, knowing Bocuse and all that, which I worked on many occasions there, I needed to go and work in a three-star. And so I asked Georges Blanc and say, I would like to go in the south of France to Roger Verger at the Moulin Mougin. It just had three-star this year. And uh, he made a phone call that afternoon, and I had a job for six months later. I had a job down in the south of France. And uh, that was... Again, entering the highest of yeah. culinary school, in a way. And uh, I did that for two years. And then Roger Verger, I wanted to go back to another three star, and he wanted to send me in Denmark. So I went to Copenhagen in the late, mid to late 70s. And uh, at the time, it was not what we know of Denmark here in America today with the Scandinavian cuisine and all that. But right. it was very avant-garde. It was, they were really, they, their own chef from Copenhagen were already coming out of the Nouvelle Cuisine from France uh, study, and they, they had worked in some of the greatest restaurants like me, and they went back home and started to practice a cuisine which was maybe more close to French cuisine at the time, but also with a lot of ingredients from uh, Denmark. And for me, it was a wonderful experience. But I felt I was too young to settle in Denmark as a chef. I was 21 years old, and I decided to go to uh, France again mm -hmm. after a year and a half or two years and work for another three star. That was Michel Guérard in the southwest of France, where when I was 15, I went to the Pays Basque to work for three months because... Uh, you know, as an apprentice, the owner I worked for felt um, at 15, you don't need vacation. You're going to go and work for my friend for the summer. <laughs> so that was my supposed vacation. So I went there and I loved it, the, the southwest of France, you know, right on the border of Spain and France. And, um, and so going back to the southwest, 
at Michel Guerard, a three star, one of the most magnificent three star. Again, he just had three star a year before or two. So it was really the time to be there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did that and then went back to Denmark and uh, started a, as a chef de cuisine with a young chef, a Danish chef, Jan Hurtikar, who was, um, it reminded me sometime of Brooklyn and those young restaurateurs who don't have too much money but have a lot of idea. It's very artistic, it's very bohemian, it's very laid back, but the food is fantastic. And uh, that was Copenhagen in 1979. Wow. <laughs> I don't think Rene was born. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Rene was he a young kid. He probably was a little kid. <laughs> and Rene Redzepi was a young kid. So anyway, uh, then uh, a friend approached me and said, would you like to go to America? I have an offer to be the chef at the European Economic Community in Washington. And... I can't go because I have kids. And uh, it was a friend of mine. We, we used to work together. And I said, yes, why not? And I went to Brussels and did an interview with the new ambassador coming to Washington. And I did two years in Washington at the European Economic Community Embassy where I was a private chef. And, you know, you're 25 years old. Uh, they give you a car, a nice little apartment, a very lousy salary, but at least it was worth it. And then from there, you came to New York? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, did you, it doesn't, it seems like you, well, you're going for the star restaurants and the best experience, and you're getting an amazing culinary education along the way. I'm just uh, but there wasn't ever the, I want to move to New York City or I want to move to the U.S. It was more when opportunities presented no, themselves? No, because uh, when I was at Michel Guerard, uh, already you have to realize that uh, when I was doing my education in France in those three stars, those chefs were already world-class chefs. And they were traveling the world. They were going to Australia. They were going to America, California. Uh, Japan, uh, they were right. all over the world. I mean, I was in Denmark because of Roger Verger. He was a consultant there, and I, I knew his food, and he wanted to send me there to just make sure that the food who was on the menu was proper to his cuisine, even if the ingredients were also indigenous from there. And so, you know, this uh, idea of traveling, I always had that in my mind, and I wanted to See America. When I was in Michel Guerard, uh, at the time, Michel Guerard was consultant with Regine, the club. There was a woman in France called Regine, and she had club all over the world. She had club in Caracas, in Miami, in New York, in uh, in Monte Carlo, in Paris, in um, Rio de Janeiro. I mean, there, wherever you party, she had a club. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so Michel Guerard was doing the food at the time. And uh, today in New York City on 57 and Park Avenue, there is the Trump building, which uh, I don't remember the name of the building, but it's, it's right there on 57. There is a condominium now. Uh -huh. But there was Regine, the club, uh, in the 70s here in New York. And so having met a lot of cooks who worked in New York uh, on briefly on, on and off for Michel Guerra and then back at Michel Guerra, 
I, I, we were always partying together and we were always talking about New York and America because they were always gathering together, talking about their time in New York. And uh, also I had a friend who worked in the cruise ship and uh, stopped in New York many times and always loved it. So for me, America was a place I wanted to see, I wanted to discover. But you didn't know you'd end up here and creating your own restaurant empire. Well, well, I spent two years in Washington. I had time to visit America. I did Florida. I rented a, um, a, a Toyota where you can sleep in the back. But it was not <laughs> even like a, yeah. a um, it was it was not like a big wagon. It was just a pickup truck, like a pickup truck with a with a roof on it. And I could sleep in the back. And I was, you know, sleeping in all those uh, camping uh, places uh, all around Florida. And sitting down playing bingo with the old people there. Because, you know, I was single at the time. So I was just driving to visit the old state. And uh, I said, no, I don't want to live here. So <laughs> <laughs> that was already crossed. I went to San Francisco. I loved it. I really loved San Francisco at the time. I went uh, to Vegas, I went to L.A., uh, I did California, I did uh, a little bit of Texas also. So during those two years, I visited different parts of the country, and I gave me a chance to know what I liked most. And of course, I was coming to New York, and I think New York was really the city I wanted to be. And what led you to Le Cirque? Uh-huh. I know. We, we're sort of... I only have a 45-minute show, so. Exactly. And so New York... <laughs> Dive into uh, the Westbury Hotel for a year and a half, then the Plaza Atene, which was the famous palace from Paris opening in New York. And, and then after that, I was bored with hotel. And uh, Paul Bocuse and many chefs from France came for a very big charity event here in New York. And uh, they came uh, to the Plaza Atene at Le Régence, and it was the 60th birthday of Paul Bocuse. And I made an amazing dinner for all those chefs, plus a lot of media, a lot of uh, people in the food world were there. And um, at night, they went to Le Cirque, and they were best friends with Sergio Maccioni, the owner. And uh, Paul Bocuse told Sergio, he said, you know, maybe you should change chef one day, and if one day you change chef, you should take Danielle next door. <laughs> so, of course, didn't take too long for Sergio to reach out to me after a while and uh, because his chef wanted to leave, Anna Sayak, and so he reached out to me and I felt like, you know, it's not going to be what I wanted, but I'm going to do my best to make it happen. And I think right away, Sergio was very receptive to for me to make change at this institution who existed and was very kind of old French and try to progressively change. And that's what I did for six years. I just pushed everything and built everything and made everything mine, yet respecting what Le Cirque was about. Yeah, well, definitely you did, and you want at that you started to get a lot of accolades at the time, too. Yeah, and that was the time where Jean-Georges was starting in New York at Lafayette, and... Uh, I was, uh, you know, the Le Bernardin was opening. Uh, there was uh, the Meridian Hotel with Christian Delouvrier. And there were a lot of talent in New York. There was already, I mean, when I arrived in New York the first time, 
I was taken to Quilted Giraffe, I was taken to Chanterelle, and I was taken to the Four Seasons. And they say, let's, we need to show you what are the three best restaurants were the most different each. And uh, Chanterelle was very French in a way Mm -hmm. and very sort of like a romantic place. Quilted Giraffe was very American, but with a Parisian attitude. And of course, the Four Seasons was this landmark of American restaurant, the real American. And I knew La Côte Basque also and those French restaurants like Le Cirque, La Côte Basque, Le Cygne, Le, La Caravelle. And so I always respected what they were doing and how successful they were at what they were doing. Uh, to me, that's something I learned a lot from them. Absolutely. On that note, let's take a little break and we'll get, we'll come back and we'll talk about you starting out as a restaurateur then on your own. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk combined with expertise and affinage is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Sirchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Danielle Ballou, legendary chef and restaurateur of the Dynex Group, including Danielle. So let's talk about this Danielle that you opened back in 1993. Yes. 25-year anniversary last year. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It's a milestone, (laughs) for sure, in the life of a restaurant in New York. And, you know, it's uh, also a place where started the way I wanted to start. Uh, It was a very vibrant, very lively, very crazy restaurant, very busy, but with great food and everything was, I mean, for me, opening my restaurant, it was all about the food had to be a priority, the service had to be a priority, the the team spirit was a priority, creativity, spontaneity, but also uh, really taking pleasure at staying French and doing some good classics sometime and being inspired by French cuisine. I think I, um, I always say, you know, if I had been um, with a Chinese descent or Japanese or Korean or, or South American, Mexican, uh, of course, I would have dig into my roots. And I think for me, the resources of my roots has always served me plenty and gave me 
plenty also for creativity. Um, Daniel moved after four and a half years. Uh, I had this opportunity to come back to where Le Cirque was, where I was there for six years. And because Le Cirque was moving and I made this very big financial decision uh, because it was a huge risk 20 years ago to move Daniel and to the location he is today. And, but I had the opportunity to also buy the real estate. So basically, I look at that 30-year plan and I felt like, well, I better sign up now and work hard for the next 30 years. <laughs> a 30-year plan? <laughs> That's that's well. That's when serious. you buy when you buy real estate in New York, it's not for five, for just a little lease of seven years, you know. Yeah, well, you've certainly excelled. And when when did you know, or when did you get the the inkling that you wanted to open more restaurants and maybe not have fine dining? Well, uh, it's true. And uh, when I was running, uh, when I opened Danielle, the first year I opened my catering company called Feast and Fat. And uh, Feast and Fed was with a partner, uh, Jean-Christophe, and we, that was an extension of services from Daniel already. And then, and it still exists today, and we are very busy doing wonderful events. And it has never been a mega catering company. Uh, we didn't want to compete for the, you know, the cheap buffet. We just wanted to make sure we were doing fine work and, and keep good relationship with our customer. And then uh, I opened Payard, Patisserie and Bistro, after a couple of years because Francois Payard was with me at Daniel and we, he really wanted to open a patisserie and I, I wanted to open a bistro. So we did Patisserie Bistro. We stayed partner for two and a half years. Then I let him buy his name and buy his business. And then I moved to Daniel, uh, Daniel to Daniel today mm -hmm. and created Café Boulou. And uh, ironically, when I sent the invitation 25 years ago, 26 years ago, of the opening of the first Danielle, I sent a picture of the old Café Boulou of my family in 1900 as a teaser. And then on the back, it was announcing Restaurant Danielle. And five years later, I was opening Café Boulou right there <laughs> instead of Danielle. So it was kind of uh, special. And when we closed the restaurant, the last service, I wanted to raise money for City Milan Wheel. And I uh, did a small gala. And then when I reopened Danielle, uh, the first week of March 1999, I invited all my mentors. So Nandron from Lyon, Paul Bocuse, Michel Guérard, Roger Verger, Georges Blanc. I invited them and said, you bring your white for the pictures and your tux for the party. I'm going to do the cooking. You have nothing to do. I just want to say thank you to you. And I brought them in. And that uh, was the first gala fundraising for City Milan Wheel at Daniel 20 years ago. And since then, uh, every year we have a gala. And the one we did lately was uh, two weeks ago. And we raised $850,000 with a small amount of people. So it was quite, it has been quite substantial. And uh, City Milan Wheel is celebrating this year is 60 million meals served in New York. 
It's so impressive. It's incredible. Uh, I had Gail Green on my show. Yes, and, we talked and about Gail it. is a founder. Yeah, and we have so much respect for Gail and James Beard and 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 the people at the time in the early eighties who felt and there was such a need to be able to take care of their community and also the elderly of New York City. So City Milan Wheel is close to my heart and. Uh, uh, at Daniel every year we excel in this year every year I bring special chefs for the for that like the way I brought my mentor 20 years mm -hmm. ago I've been bringing chefs all year long and this year I brought Neil Perry from uh, Australia at the Rock, Rockpool group very famous chef I've been to Rockpool yeah okay yeah, in Sydney uh, cool They're, yeah and uh, fantastic and, and, and then I brought also uh, Del uh, Luke uh, Del Roberts, who is from the Test Kitchen in uh, in Cape Town, South Africa, and I brought Pedro Bargero from Chile in Buenos Aires, uh, Argentina, and César Troigros from from France, uh, the young César Troigros, first generation of Troigros, and they all cook for the gala this year. So it was kind of super fun and. Very successful, and I'm very thankful for the generosity of many New Yorkers who support City Meal. It's incredible. Let me ask you my question for my last guest. So at episode 209, I had on Chef J.J. Johnson. He's mm -hmm. the founder of Ingrade Hospitality Concepts, including Henry at the Life Hotel in Nomad and Field Trip, a rice concept opening in Harlem. And give him a shout-out, his book, between Harlem and Heaven was nominated today for James Beard Foundation Award, which is cool. Superb. So we're going to play it back because we're, we're very fancy here at Heritage Radio. So here's his question. Who mentored Danielle in his growth time of his career? And when I'm saying growth, not in his cooking growth, but in his restaurant growth. When did he know was the right time to open the next restaurant? Do this concept. Go from fine dining to casual dining. Go from casual dining to quick service. Go from New York to Boston. Like, who was helping him along the way? There's no way that he was doing that on his own. Of course, he had some gut intuition of where to go mm -hmm. and, and deals, but I would love to know who was helping him along the way and when did he know it was the right time to expand his empire? Well... Um, I think it's a very good question and it's true. And uh, sometimes, you know, you always look at the chef and you always look at uh, the accomplishment you have done personally and all that. But it takes a team. It takes uh, take an army and you build that army. And uh, I have very loyal people working with me and you grow that uh, carefully. I was very lucky when I started 26 years ago I was trying to raise about $2 million, and it was in portion of $200,000, and I had about 10 people in mind who could maybe help me help me raise that money. And uh, I was at the six investors, and I met Joel Smilo. He was just retiring as a CEO of Playtex and uh, other companies, uh, and uh, he had been there for... 40 years or 30 years and uh, since he was very young and he just retired and and he sit down with me after my pitch and trying to convince him to give me $200,000 and he said you know 
I'll take the risk. I'd rather be the only one than one of them because I think it'd be better to work together like that. And so Joel uh, st signed up and his niece, uh, is, uh, is, uh, yeah, niece-in-law, Lily Linton, uh, who was a longtime friend and put me in touch with Joel, uh, has always been also a minority partner, but a majority health supporter. And so she's a Harvard graduate and a businesswoman. And uh, so Lily play a huge role also into that. And uh, Brett Trussi, who is with me as, direct, as a COO today, started as the director of operation. But interestingly enough, Brett started with me at the Plaza Atene, then moved, came, he went to Cornell. As a student, he came to Le Cirque to do his externship in the kitchen. And then he went on to work in hotels, uh, different places, including the palace where Le Cirque just moved. And I pulled him off the palace uh, when he was director of all the food and beverage there. And he came to work with me, and we have been together for 20 Three, 20, 20 years, 21 years. And then from there, it's Michael Lawrence who started as an assistant manager and is a director of operation. And there's Pierre Sioux who uh, started as a boss boy and today is director of operation. And uh, so there's many, uh, you know, the chef, Jean-Francois, we, we have been 23 years together uh, and he became the chef at DB Bistro the first time. Uh, and, and the chef I choose, like uh, I opened Café Boulou and I uh, put uh, Andrew Carmelini there as a chef. That was his first job as a chef. And I took the risk with him. It was recommended by Brett Trussi. And, um, and Andrew, uh, within a year and a half, he won already a Rising Star Chef by James Beer uh, against all over America, young chef under 30, he, he, he made the top and win. Now, um, six years later, Andrew leave, and a new chef come in, Gavin Kaysen, and within a year and a half, he won Rising Star Chef in America, under 30, also uh, best chef, uh, young chef in America. And, uh, and I think many opportunities like this have been given to the chef to be able to not only distinguish themselves, but for me, give them the power to be able to have the right stage for them to succeed. And, uh, and I think that's this combination of talent. You can, I mean, it's, it don't matter who you are and what you do. Uh, when you create multi-business, you need people with you. And does not mean they always stay forever, but does not mean that it's a bad thing to change it's sometimes harder to change. It, it hurt, uh, sometimes emotionally, sometimes physically, but it, it's good because it, it, it helps you refresh. It helps you reset sometime. And uh, it helps you look at you know, uh, a different direction. And that's not mean you don't make mistakes sometime in life. You, know, you, you go and open a restaurant with the wrong people, uh, pull back, too bad, move on. Right. You know, I don't think uh, life is, you know, I didn't, I didn't plan to have so many restaurants. I didn't think I was going to have so many restaurants, but I'm still motivated to do more. And like uh, I'm working on a new project now at uh, One Vanderbilt, which is uh, a new 
uh, tower going right like next Grand to Central. Grand Central yeah. and uh, between Madison Avenue and uh, Grand Central. And this tower will be one of the most majestic new development in New York. There'll be only one restaurant there. And uh, it's, a, it's a, of course, a uh, commercial tower with maybe 8,000 people working above. So it's going to be a new project, very different from anything I've done so far. And uh, I think quite motivating for me to, you know, create something like that again. Uh, as you're speaking, I had so many questions along the way, but you pretty much answered them because I was wondering, I've never been someone who's uh, a planner, but I'm a doer and I like to be busy. I definitely get the vibe from you. You like to be busy and you and things and you're always pushing forward and things are always moving, moving and developing and you're you're. It's it's constant. It's yeah. it's very and I, incredible. And I think in New York, you know, I take the financial risk. I take everything. Uh, in Washington D.C., also we have DBGB there, which is our own restaurant. And then in other places, Boston, Montreal, Toronto, Miami, Palm Beach, Singapore, Singapore. London, uh, we we have uh, partners often with hotels or uh, with operator, and um, and it's great. It's uh, you know partnership work uh you got to give a lot for them and they are usually generous with it but uh it's an opportunity not to leverage yourself financially so much and yet you can keep uh expanding your brand as well well you've certainly done that we're going to take another break before we do just give a a mention brett trossi came on my radio show oh episode 79 if people <laughs> want to look uh, go back and listen to the archives uh we definitely talked about you. I'm sure. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Danielle Ballou. It's time for my speed round game. What this is, is I name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Chocolate. Chocolate. All right. You did, you did very good in the test one. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in now because I have young kid. So eat in. <laughs> Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? My lunch was tasting, but a la carte. <laughs> Small plates or large plates? Small plate. Communal table or chef's counter? 
Chef Gunther. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? French style, all-inclusive. <laughs> Easy. Wearing chef whites or wearing a suit or a tux? Chef white. Yeah, figured you might say that, but you always look very dapper in whatever you're wearing. Okay, giving toasts on top of bars or having someone toast you up in their skybox in Danielle? Uh, both. <laughs> you're very good at toasting on, on top of bars. I've seen you do I'm, that several times. I'm not times. doing that with social media anymore. I don't want to get caught. <laughs> In trouble. Oh, no, it's ruined it. But no, you're fabulous at it. I hope it doesn't go away. Okay, two more. Cheese... In my own place. <laughs> Cheese plate or dessert? Both. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Lyon? Manhattan. Manhattan. There you go. That's the game. Very good. Manhattan has been, and, and I would say, you know, I'm in the same zip code since I arrived in New York City. And um, so and I am. I feel like uh, the biggest gift I received from my zip code is then when they made the Second Avenue subway, the new line, uh, the Q line. They put a station on Seventy Second Street mm -hmm. and Second Avenue, and they commissioned Vic Muniz, who actually has a studio in Brooklyn, not too far, a Brazilian artist, to do the mosaic work around the stations. And Vic one day say, I need to take a picture of you. So he took a picture of me and I discovered and that was to put myself on the wall of the subway in New York. And I'm going to be there for the next 200 years, maybe. So it's that's good. It's very cool. And I've seen it. It's, it's yeah, it's quite an honor. It's a life size. <laughs> myself holding a bag with some fish and vegetables and <laughs> coming back from the market and eating in. It makes it makes commuting. Um, it adds a little, you know, joy to to the yeah. commute. You get to walk by and, and see you. So right. That that is very special. Okay, so let's talk some industry news today. This morning, the James Beard Foundation announced mm -hmm. its nominees for 2019. I don't have the list yet. Uh, I have the list here. I have so many. I have so many pieces of paper here because I have the list and I have your whole resume and everything. Well, here's here's. Can I see the list? Well, I'm gonna I, check out a few things. Here's you're taking my. Here's here here you go. Says some of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're going to be, I, it's, um, we could talk about so many things. Well, first of all, you've, you've been, you've received six James Beard Foundation Awards. If, more because if not uh, more. we also received service. We received wine service. We and people that work for you or with you. Yeah. yeah. Personally, I uh, received Best Chef New York, Best Chef in America, uh, Best Restaurateur, uh, then we had, I had many pastry chefs, Jacques Torres, Francois Payard, uh, um, Gaia Oliveira, uh, who received those uh, during their tenure. Many sommeliers will receive the wine uh, service. Uh, so James Beard is definitely the, the most, I think, the most powerful and the most meaningful reward you can get as a professional and I think for young chef of course now there's Michelin in America and there's many other barometers of success or, or recognition 
but I think that James Beard is still the one who helped any region in America, any, any, any place, anywhere where there is talent, James Beard will go and pull it off. And I think that's uh, that's beautiful. And 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 also in the field of trade, in 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 our trade, in in a different, uh, in a you know in a different background like bakers and pastry chef and chef and restaurateur and wine and bartenders now. And so it's it's the yeah. kaleidoscope of reward and what it means for you know someone from Austin to win against America's best talent. That's big. It's it's huge. And I was watching the live feed this morning and give a shout out to Pichet Ong, who is a mm -hmm. good friend of mine, Sweet. who I'm also working with. He is now the pastry chef at Brothers and Sisters in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. at the Line Hotel. And he was nominated for Outstanding Pastry Chef. So I was super excited for him. I mean, there's so many people on this on the list, and and I think that and what's beautiful is the list keep growing, with national talent, which you never heard of. Uh, so many great chefs in Minneapolis, for mm -hmm. example, where Gavin Kaysen is today, and uh, he has his pastry chef there, and I was also uh, voted uh, in the list. And right. so you know the the opportunity for young chef to go back home. And to be able to shine on the national stage, it's huge. It and is. if Michelin goes to Minneapolis, then he shine on the international stage, and that's you know even bigger. Yeah, no, it's it's. I love. I've been going to the James Beard Awards for I don't know how many years, at least a dozen. I've been going to Chicago every year, planning to go back this coming year, mm -hmm. and I I'll like. Be there. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I love being part of the celebration and. And it's, you know, it's quite an honor. I'm, uh, I'm very happy, you know, people should go online, check out, but check you know, out the, the entire list. The big list. one is like uh, this year, Outstanding Chef. So Outstanding Chef, it's really, uh, um, I think you have to have uh, a minimum of uh, a certain amount of year, uh, but it's, it's a national thing. And, uh, and you have some of the finest chefs like Corey Lee or David Kinch. Oh, yeah, Donald Link, uh, Mark Betry from Philadelphia. Yeah. Actually, interestingly enough, there is no New Yorker. I did, I did notice that. <laughs> and there is Ashley also. Um, Ashley Christensen from um, Raleigh, North Carolina, which is fantastic. But I saw what Ellen Yin is on the list for uh, Outstanding Restaurateur. She's from she's from Philadelphia and New York, with mm -hmm. um, which I, I she was nominated last year too. Outstanding Restaurateur, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, there's so the, it's Ken Oranger and uh, there's there's some great list. But uh, you know, today is not all about New York, LA, San Francisco, Chicago. Uh, it's no, about it's not. America, and I think that. Uh, when they started the James Beard, I don't think they could imagine where we are today with the talent and where it is and how uh, well scattered it is today. True. So stay tuned. The awards are May 6th in Chicago. That's the Chef and Restaurant Awards. And then the Media Journalism Awards are going to be in New York on April 26th. So congratulations to everyone.
we're going to take another break and come back. I'm going to do my speed round. I'm going to do my solo dining experience and we'll have the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at Chez L'Ami Jean. And you're going to have to pardon my pronunciation of French, but that is the restaurant, and here's the rundown. The location, 27 Rue Malar, 7th Arrondissement, Paris, France. The concept, a lively Basque bistro. The chef and owner, Stéphane Jago. So why did I go? Because my guest today, Danielle, had recommended it to me, and I also heard of it from a few other industry friends, but really it was Danielle's recommendation. So my experience. I had a late reservation for one on a Saturday in November when I was in Paris. It was at 8.45. I arrived. My table was not ready yet. They were super apologetic and super cool. I mean, the server moved around really quickly the, to clear off the bar, so I had a place to sit, offered me some charcuterie and something to drink. It was, they were just, it was, I felt the fun, lovely energy as soon as I entered. I waited about 20 minutes for my table to be ready, and then my feast began. So what did I get? I had the charcuterie while I was waiting, as I mentioned. I also had the famous Parmesan soup with house-made bread and butter. I had sweetbreads with mashed potatoes and famous rice pudding with caramel sauce. So my take, wow. Rich and decadent soup filled with bits of deliciousness. It was uh, really quite, quite an amazing Parmesan soup. And the sweetbreads were perfectly cooked, really flavorful, balanced well with these silky, smooth, whipped potatoes. And then the finale was this bread pudding, with the, which is ginormous, um, and it just was sinful. So the ambiance, it's a lively, intimate bistro setting. You can see the, the kitchen in the back uh, through the dining room. I'd say it's perfect for a fun and indulgent group night out. Interesting tidbit, it is the oldest Basque restaurant in Paris, having opened in 1931, and it has been helmed by Brittany-born Stéphane since 2002. Personal fun fact, so pre-dinner, this was the night... 
I talked about it on my episode 198, how I had oysters at Hutteri Regis, and uh, that was my pre-dinner. And then I walked over to the restaurant for my late dinner. And I have to say, I looked at how much walking I did in Paris, and I was doing about 10 miles a day. So that is one way I exercise while I'm traveling. So the cost was $90. That's including everything and converted to U.S. dollars. Would I go back? Yes, I would. And the website is lamijean.fr. So there you go. What'd you think? We said lamijean in French. Yeah, I know. I know. I was. I w- almost wasn't going to talk about it because I was like, I'm butchering. No, your no, language. it's very good. Uh, absolutely. No, no. You, you did such a good <laughs> portrait of what the place is about, and uh, it's amazing. Is one of this generation of chef who kind of launched the gastro bistro, bist- the bistronomy in Paris, and uh, is a character. And sometimes he can get mad in the kitchen, and nobody should get scared. It's only the chef getting mad at himself sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, I have to say, you know, as someone who does dine solo a lot, this was one of my most fun solo dining experiences just based on everyone that worked there and the energy. They mm-hmm. they, they were just everyone had was it was fun. And it, and it Super. was and no, the food was absolutely. delicious. So and it was an excellent recommendation. And it's the kind of place you can Trust the chef. You can trust the service. The service is super cash, but super pro. Mm-hmm. And the wine is inexpensive, but well curated. I mean, and 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 the food is so soulful. It, yeah, uh, it's tasty. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. So, check it out if you're in Paris. Okay, so it's time for the final question. My next guest is Hunter Lewis. He is the editor in chief at Food and Wine Magazine. And actually, we didn't. We should mention this. How back was it, nineteen eighty-eight that you were the first recipient? <laughs> yeah, of food and somewhere wines. there, eighty-seven, eighty-eight. Yeah, the first. With, I was the first recipient of the ten best chef. Yeah, with Thomas Keller, and yeah. there's there's a few people. Yeah, Absolutely. no, that was one of the accolades. I Dean I, Dean Faring from Texas, and uh, oh God, was Rick Bayless. Was, was that Rick one? Bayless okay. was there also. And I think Hubert Keller also from San Francisco, and it was it was a fun bunch. Yeah, so it's inc- that's incredible. I always think that list just it 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 it, it marks or iconic it, exactly. Yeah, I it think really it, spots amazing chefs. The fact that you were the first year, <laughs> very much, lot. and 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 it it kind of like uh, gave a new spin to and and a meaning to this new generation. It it was like it was like setting us up as a group, yeah. versus it didn't exist before. Uh, you know, even if there was already Wolfgang and there was already a lot of chef in America, uh, Larry Forgeon and all that. But then we were almost like uh, not a generation, but you know, a couple of years behind, so a little younger, and uh, it was uh, it was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So. So my next guest is Hunter Lewis, who's now the editor-in-chief at Food & Wine. So what would you like to ask Hunter? Uh, well, I think, you know, the the f- Food & Wine keep also evolving, growing into his uh, uh, readership. And uh, what I like is would they keep um, extending the publishing side or do you think 
for him, social media is much more important and, and communication or the reach out to their consumer. Uh, is it better through either not only social media, but media platform such as um, uh, phone or computers right. or versus uh, print? I, um, and uh, that's one question because I think uh, we all want to keep the print yeah. alive and well, and we all try to find time to read prints. And uh, for me, uh, it's not the same. The, um, the aspiration I get reading in prints versus flipping on a phone, uh, too much information. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, and so and 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 also food and wine you know they they have always done best new chef which is great uh but uh would they do like james beard more recognition for other things than chef such as you know best new pastry chef best new bakers best new other categories other categories and okay. Uh, I think many great chefs in America never made it to the best new chef. But um, that's not mean that they weren't either qualified or maybe they weren't so obvious. Right. But still uh, doing fantastic things. I mean, today I was uh, at the restaurant Gabriel, and I think he did the best new chef. I don't remember the year. But uh, I think they won something last year. Yeah, also. Yeah. Gabriel Quarter, and that was fantastic. And uh, but uh, you know, food and wine. I uh, uh, I'm not a, a home consumer. I'm not a house uh, cook, so I don't always look at it the same purpose than uh, uh, maybe someone who cook at home and uh, and eagerly. Uh, I wait for the magazine to come to see what they could be inspired by. But it has always been very uh, stimulating to see how well they keep up with um, actual evolution in food. And uh, True. Mm -hmm. So I have one more question before we end the show. Do you ever get tired? You seem to have like an abundant amount of endless energy yeah but uh you know at the end of the day <laughs> at the end of the day i'm trying to learn to quit work and that's the hardest part uh, yeah, good but luck with uh that. <laughs> i get tired sometime um especially i mean traveling sometime with jet lag that's yeah, very difficult yeah. like this morning i just came back from uh, europe i went to see my parents uh last weekend so I came back uh, two days ago or three days ago. And uh, this morning, I, w I went to bed late, but this morning I was up at 6.15. And I said, God, am I going to go back to sleep? No. So I got up, I went to the gym. <laughs> mm. And then I have young kid who yeah. get right. me will get me out of bed by 8.15. Yeah. So I was back home just as they were well, getting up. You have, you have, it's, <laughs> I, I'm in awe of you. I just have to say, I'm so honored that, you spent this 45 minutes plus with me today on, Thank you, Sherry. on well, Heritage Radio. And I, I wish you continued success in everything you do. I, 
I don't think you need it. Well, but, keep, um, keep doing what you do because I think that does a lot for our profession and for the people who dream about food and people who try to understand why we choose to do what we do. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. My guest today has been Danielle Ballou. He is a legendary chef and restaurateur. His restaurant group is the Dynex Group. You can go and learn all about him. Go to his website, daniellebalou.com, and follow him on social media at daniellebalou. Follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. Website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda, and thanks again to Danielle. Just heads up, next week I'm going to do a special on-the-road episode from my coverage at South Beach Wine and Food Festival. I have interviews with Matthew Acarino, John Tizar, and Adina Sussman. And then the following week, Wednesday, April 10th at 4 p.m., my guest will be Hunter Lewis of Food and Wine. So I hope you'll tune in. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.